please sit comfortably. Um, what I wanted to talk about tonight, uh, to give it a, a title, is a, and it comes out of a conversation I had with someone earlier today, which is about curative fantasies. Curative fantasies is a term that comes from psychoanalysis, and it's a term that um, Barry Madgett, um, who's a Zen teacher in the Ordinary Mind Zen School in New York, um, talks about in one of his books about um, ending the pursuit of happiness. And he talks about how people go to analysis or therapy with a whole lot of fantasies of what's going to happen to them and how their life is going to be different and how they're going to be perhaps bigger, stronger, more wonderful people as a, as a result of investing in psychoanalysis. And he applies, applies the same principle to Zen practice. What kind of curative fantasies do we bring to Zen practice as well? Now, you may remember from two or three Dharma talks ago, I gave a talk that included um, The Wizard of Oz. And I was reflecting on, I read the book actually, um, recently the whole book, and I was reflecting on it today. And when you remember that, um, that uh, Dorothy um, takes up with a scarecrow who's a straw man who has no brains, or believes he has no brains, and a tin man who believes he has no heart, and a lion who believes he has no courage, and they all go together to, to the Wizard of Oz, to find the Wizard of Oz. Now, those three gentlemen are really good examples of curative fantasies. Scarecrow goes, well, when I get brains, I'll be okay, right? Tin Man says, but, and when I get a heart, I'll be okay. Uh -huh. And the lion says, and when I get courage, I'll be okay. But the moral of the story is, is that as you go through the, the book, not so much the movie, but the book, all of them, the, the scarecrow actually displays quite a lot of intelligence. And the Tin Man um, expresses quite a lot of compassion and the lion actually expresses a lot of courage on their journeys before they get to the to the wizard. And when he gets when they get there, I mean the wizard is really just a as he says himself, I'm a humbug. Um, but he gives the scarecrow a diploma and he then believes he's got brains and he's okay. You know, and he gives the the tin man a, a watch shaped like a heart and um, he gives the lion a medal. But the moral of the story is, is that he's just affirming what was already there. Mm -hmm. um, but we get caught up in thinking, I oh, will do sas and then we become, we, we realise, become awakened or we realise our Buddha nature. Someday it will happen out there in the future is the curity fantasy that we all bring to, to Zen as well. I'll sit really hard and I'll be a really good person and in the future someday I'll just get better. Uh -huh. Now that's the practice point of view. Yes, it does work in that way in a sense. Um, but from the realisation point of view there is no separation between realisation and practice. Now there is a koan um, which um, really embodies 
um, a lot of what we're, we're talking about here. Um, it's case nine at the Mumonkan, and it's called Ching Chan's Non-Attained Buddha. A monk asked the priest Ching Chan, the Buddha of supremely pervading, surpassing wisdom, did Zazen on the Bodhi seat for ten kalpas, but the Dharma of the Buddha did not manifest itself, and he could not attain Buddhahood. Why was this? So the brief thing is, he, this Buddha, this man, sat for years and years and years and years. Why is it that he couldn't attain Buddhahood? Ching Chan said, your question is exactly to the point. The monk said, but he did Zazen on the Bodhi seat. Why couldn't he attain Buddhahood? Ching Chan said, because he is a non-attained Buddha. Uh-huh. Now, when you look at this koan, um, you see embedded in the, the monk's question, if you, if you personalise it as a monk, perhaps fear of failure. What if I, I invest as a Buddhist monk all my time into all, doing all these sessions and sazen and practising the precepts? And what about if there's no reward for it, I don't succeed? It's kind of like at the essence of his question. And it's full of um, doubt as well. Mm-hmm. Now, the point, one point here is that if you're, if you're practising in the sense that one day it'll all develop step by step and I'll be a better person or I'll be awakened, then, then it will happen someday, right? It's some fantasy out there about something which will happen in the future. And if you approach practice in that way, you don't embrace what is here right now and how you are right now. Mm-hmm. It becomes just another self-improvement mechanism. So it's very important to sit, not with some idea of becoming enlightened or improving yourself, um, but to see into the experience of what you are in this moment. And if you really see into what you are at this moment, then you can respond to this koan. Another way of looking at it as well is that by asking the why question, and he persists in asking the the why question through the koan, um, it's coming from a place of doubt. And while you're asking the why question, you're not in the process. If you're asking why you're doing zazen, you're not doing zazen, you know. Um, If you ask yourself what's the point in getting up in the morning then you're outside making a commentary on your life you're not in the flow of your life if you ask yourself the question what's the point of living then you're not actually living the question takes you away from the lived experience See, this is why Zen practice is is not philosophy in a sense, it's actually the death of philosophy because you, you're not standing outside of your life making a commentary on it, which is what a lot of people do. And then they feel separate from their life and then they're not in the flow of life, they're not in the process of life. So Zen 
is a practice like dancing, you know, where you're just in the process. You just take the next step. Even if you make a mistake, you just take the next step and the next step and the next step and you go with the music. But imagine someone going along to a, a dance class and saying, why do you dance? Right? Well, why do you put your foot there, you know, and that? Why, why do you do this and why do you do that? The more they ask the why questions, the more they, they're separated from the dance. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to get actually beyond the, the worldly dualism of not only failure in Zen, um, but success. No one fails at Zen. Right? <laughs> and no one succeeds either. <laughs> it's outside of that worldly dualism that we get caught up in. Things just are. You really, you, you, no one fails at it. No one succeeds at it. So if it's neither failing or succeeding, what is it? That's kind of getting down to the, the core of what the question is. Anyway, there's many different curative fantasies that people might have. When, do you know, um, when I meet the right person in a relationship, then my life will be okay. You know, um, when I finish my PhD, my life will be okay. Do you know, when I get a promotion, then I'll be okay. There's always something there that takes you away from this moment. And as you know, as we talk about all the time, sin brings you into this moment and seeing that this moment is perfectly okay the way it is. That's what's radical about the teaching. So you can get, you can get more and more understanding or you can get more and more psychological understanding about yourself and that can be a good thing. But understanding is not the same as realisation. Um, it's not, not even a matter of healing in a sense. Um, but when you just get outside of success and failure in practice, you're in the flow and, and it makes a difference to the way you live your life. Mm -hmm.